You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Well, welcome everyone to an episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I'm not Andrew, I am Sexy Irish Sean, but I'm joined as always by Sexy American Andrew and... Uh, Just Rick. <laughs> <laughs> He's back from the desert. Yeah, I, I want to thank you guys for letting me back out of the closet. Um, it's nice to be back in the, the studio today. Heard you got COVID in the closet, so we had to quarantine you there for 14 yeah, days. That was a fun trip. Anyway, let's. what do you say we get into the topic at hand? Sean, what is? what are we talking about today? Facebook meta. <laughs> Facebook. What you're saying, meta means evil in Hebrew? Is that what's going around? It means dead. It means dead, okay. It's dead. And that, it's like a, a feminine form for, for dead, like to be dead. You know, Facebook's right to the name is dead because there was a company already named Meta. Uh, they said that they would sell for no less than $20 million. So it's uh, it's it's weird. I, I feel like it's the it's second life from the office is what they want to try to do. So like we're, we have to probably learn to advertise to people in the metaverse that are like, you know, sitting on their fake meta couch looking at fake meta ads and we're going to be doing ads maybe, for those people probably. Maybe they change their name to Meta because they're going to steal everyone's metadata. Well, I mean, they're already doing it. <laughs> or they want to define the meta because that's what you say in video games when you um, are talking pro level. One thing that I don't really like about it is that nobody was asking for this. <laughs> and it's kind of been thrust on everyone. It's like, we're doing this. And you're going to like yeah. it. <laughs> I'm like, really? I don't really want to put a headset on. Uh, Marcus Zuckerberg read my brainwaves. You know, I feel like we're basically one step away from Minority Report, you know, where they Ooh, um, arrest you for crimes that, that you are that you haven't yet committed. It's I like don't they know read your brainwaves. Well, well, Facebook's already doing that. <laughs> banning, <laughs> banning people. Minority Report's pretty extreme, though. I mean, I don't think we'll ever get that extreme. I don't think we'll have these psychic people connected to a computer that will be like, oh, there's a crime coming. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't think you had to have private companies sending the dude from Star Trek into space for fun. Oh, no, William, William Shatner. Shatner. Yes, William Shatner. Yes, something on he, the wing. He rode, he, he rode the uh, projectile <laughs> rocket. That's so crazy. <laughs> Can't say it on this podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, that one. It's, it's, it's shaped very... Uh, Interestingly, you do you know how uh, meta in Hebrew means death? Uh huh. Guess what NASA means in Hebrew? What is it? Deception. Oh Ooh. snap! When endings were fake. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to how the heck does this relate to any of this relate to board game marketing? Because I don't even know. <laughs> Why not actually talk about the game found stuff that's going on right now? Right. So unfortunately, everyone, our deal that we had out there has been broken because we said we would market our very first game found project for free. Well, we've been marketing a game found project. It's Skyrim. So it's a pretty uh, cool one to jump in on as your first one. Yeah, we've learned been learning some interesting things just about the platform, game found, obviously getting a behind the scenes look and then, you know, just comparing it with Kickstarter, what makes it great, what needs some work and the, the future of the, the platform. You know, for the first time, we can actually see return on ad spend directly in the Facebook ads manager, which is pretty amazing. I mean, it's only been two days since we've, well, really, I guess like a day and a half, not even a day and a half since we launched, well, since they launched the Skyrim campaign. And since we started, I mean, we have spent 
in marketing dollars on Facebook, $1,833.65, just like a quick snapshot. And we've generated $92,000 almost for an average return of over $50 per dollar spent. So that's crazy. There's a bit of a caveat because how GameFound is set up, it marks any purchase event on the platform within the Facebook Ads Manager. So that doesn't necessarily mean our campaign. So obviously people are, our ads are bringing people to GameFound and then GameFound, they're, they're backing other projects. So that isn't necessarily oh. a, it's not necessarily a resemblance of people supporting our campaign. So that's so something we, you have to be, have to be aware of. That's really interesting. So if we bring somebody to GameFound and they back Skyrim and go all in, then they go find some other project like uh, Too Many Bones Unbreakable, which yep. it, it looks really interesting and back that. That counts under our Facebook ad manager? Yeah. So that's that's one of the dangers. So now the benefit oh. is, is that we have referral links for everything. So yeah. what I've been doing is comparing in and out. <laughs> so like you have, we put this much money in, we got this much out, and then that's where you make your decision. You're obviously using the purchase events with an ads manager as a guide to determine which ads are getting the most actions. But I, I mm -hmm. completely just dis disregard the return on ad spend. And when you look at the numbers, you can understand why GameFound will want to advertise your game. <laughs> yeah, holy <laughs> crap. We're making them a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we originally did this with the intent of learning a lot, you know, and uh, GameFound does this thing with Facebook Pixel where the Pixel is all of the um, pixel events that we would normally want to set up manually or, you know, whatever have automatically are, are basically will auto trigger. So you put your Facebook pixel information in your game found account, and then game found is going to basically automate all of the events for you. So all of the, the purchase event, the, the sign up for your email event, um, all, you know, landing page view, all sorts of things like that. Those are automated by the way that GameFound has set up their, their system. And that's pretty cool, but it does, interestingly enough, have some unintended side effects, which is that if I back Skyrim and then I go back on, you know, too many bones unbreakable, it's going to track both sales under my Facebook ad account. And that's kind of frustrating. I also don't know what they did because as far as I, I knew that if you had a referral link, you got a percentage of the profits of anything purchased with that link. And I haven't seen that. I don't know if they weeded that out. I don't know if that's something that they've implemented because that would be cool if you're running a GameFound campaign. And yeah, even if people don't back your game, but they go back to someone else's game, you get a cut. It's gonna You can kind of you know reclaim your ad spend that way. But I haven't seen any of those metrics. Yeah, you know, that was from what I... I saw that was for reviewers, specifically for reviewers that could put a referral link and um, claim a percentage of that that you know the earnings there. Uh, I haven't actually seen that put into practice anywhere. Um, I've also not heard any reviewer ex even so much as excited about that, uh, which I would be, you know, pretty excited. I mean, if I could get a really solid uh, community going in my um, you know, and then get people to use my referral links. It's basically affiliate marketing. I mean, you can make, you know, a lot of the time with a typical, you know, website um, that, you know, you want to drive a ton of organic traffic to you. You'll make a third of your money with organic, tra uh, uh, sorry, a third of your money with um, affiliate links, a third with like a download that costs money, and then a third with banner ads. Isn't that right, Rick? <laughs> Something sure. like that. 
<laughs> I mean, I know you were looking at like that. I was like a some snake farm case study. I can't remember the free class I joined. Yeah, I guess so. It where they <laughs> basically create landing pages and you know for affiliate marketing and that kind of thing. That's kind of what the the breakdown ends up coming out to be. And I so I think that uh, you know reviewers are looking. You know, I mean they they charge money to simply often, you know, the, the top tier reviewers will charge money to simply review your product. But I think that they could also make a substantial amount of money from their community backing a product if they just had a, an affiliate link for every single game. And I think you might be able to make them on your own without, you know, permission from the other company. Um, Maybe a crowdfunding or just start doing board game reviews on, uh, on crowdfunding. We can't sell out. With our, with we can't sell out like that. With we our gotta... reviewer link to get to get money. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what other reviewers are thinking is like, hey, you know, I don't want to sell out. I want to provide great content and not have to worry about like making money from the things that I'm talking about. I mean, I understand that, you know, for the most part, a reviewer wants to speak positively about um, a game. You know, they typically don't like to take a game unless it's a positive experience or something they think they're going to like. They won't get many people wanting to use their service again if they say yeah i'll review your game and then they bash it so hard they're like this game was terrible you know that's one thing i'll actually say because you know you have a, a project that's so big like skyrim i've i've been dedicating a, a huge amount of time of basically lurking in the community like looking at all the facebook groups looking at youtube i let you go on youtube and go like type in skyrim board game and filter it so that i can see What's up being uploaded? Like as soon as, as soon as it's uploaded, watching the content, seeing what people are saying, and then feeding that back to the publisher. Uh, so I think with these larger IPs, there's definitely people like myself who are like lurking in the background, seeing what people are saying. And I know that one one reviewer in particular was critiquing the 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 page, and he sort of had this attitude as like, oh, you know, these these people uh, are never going to reach out to me and ask me to review this game. Um, so I'm just going to give them my, my feedback and like he, he's a smaller channel, but he actually was on our list. He was, he wasn't high on the list, but he was on our list. And, uh, you know, if he sort of spoke in a way that was, uh, maybe with a sense of, you know, being begrudged or something, um, having that like a chip on your shoulder, I suppose that could impact then your, you know, as few in the future, reaching out to him and contacting him. So this is something to keep in mind if you're a, a small content creator is that people are lurking. And you don't know who's watching your videos and what impact that's going to have. Yeah, it's, it is interesting because, you know, I, I found in my personal experience working with Deliverance, there are creators that have had less than 100 views on their videos that I can attribute five sales to, which is totally worthwhile. You know, I give them a prototype, they mail it on to the next reviewer and mail it on who mails it on to the next reviewer and uh, then mails it back home because after three times it is just shredded and needs to be put back together. So, you know, that's usually how it goes. Yeah. To have somebody just kind of burn the bridge or burn the boat, or I don't know, I guess burn the bridge is probably the best way to, to explain it. It's not a great move for a reviewer, but at the same time, it's kind of what a person watching a video wants to see. They want to see an unbiased opinion that is free of the, I guess, um, you know, if, if money weren't an issue, like what would you really say? You know, and that's- Yeah, I think one of the problems is a lot of reviewers, I'm saying that in air quotes, actually don't review the product. They just give their opinion, which is very different. 
I know that you might think that that isn't different, but it is different. You know, some people, they just, they say things which um, are arbitrary, are frankly illogical, it's just unhelpful. Like that's, that's not a review. And so I think you have to be careful of that sort of mentality. Um, you know, if, for instance, like some people like say, oh, this, this picture needs to be larger. But I guarantee you, if you made it larger, then they'll be saying it's too cluttered. You know, like that, that, that kind of thing where you're saying something without actually properly thinking through the logical implications of that adjustment. And right. you're kind of critiquing it. It's kind of like this armchair crit critique. It's like, I think a lot of reviewers would do well to slow down and actually logically think through their critiques before vocalizing them. Yeah. <laughs> because think, you, you um, see a lot of these, these critiques that kind of go, oh, okay, move on. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think uh, somebody who I've been watching a little bit more lately is Alex from Board Game Co. He has a really solid system for reviewing games he'll talk about his biases and he'll talk about you know pros and cons and he'll talk about why it's a con but not necessarily in a way that's like hey this was a deal breaker for me i would never back this because of this one thing but he you know it's usually like here's the information presented almost without commentary and you make a decision on that you know these were the things that i liked but, you know, I tend to like games like this, referencing his biases, and I, I, I appreciate that as a, an avid player of games. So, and, yeah, I think that, of and I think that's what I'm what I was getting at with the, the first example is that you need to talk about the product as if the publisher is sitting next to you. You know, you're not going to be maybe vicious or vindictive if the publisher was right next to you. You know, you sort of have to have that mentality where your feedback is constructive and your feedback is right. at least logical. <laughs> yeah. You know, and speaking of feedback that's constructive and logical, uh, we're we're getting some that is kind of the opposite of that. And I, I thought, <laughs> you know, just on Skyrim, I thought that it would be really a good case study for people listening to hear, you know, how do you deal with negative comments? What, what negative comments should you um, respond to? And what is kind of a little ridiculous? Uh, what... Have you, Sean, you know, looking, you know, looking closely at the comments and whatnot, have, what have you found? Well, I just, you know, through my lurking, I, you know, I read and you might have a reviewer who will say something like, yeah, this is a really solid game. And then you'll have people saying solid isn't good enough. What more do you want? Like, so I really just said it's a good game. It's like saying it's a good game isn't good enough. <laughs> you know, what? I've, been, I've been looking at some of these comments too. And I, I, I want to say they're not like negative, negative. They're more like passive aggressive. Like someone's just, you know, it's like more of a snarky. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, and I, I'm wondering if it, is it because of it's such a big IP and people just want to, you know, give that little jab at it. Or if this wouldn't would have happened if it wasn't a big IP, I think that it's because it's a big IP. I think you have people who so many attract so many people of different backgrounds, who have different tastes, different preferences. That no matter what you do, you're going to upset somebody. And when you make a decision, it's going to upset you know lots of people because there's lots of people who like this IP. And you know, one example is, and I think Medif I have to give a hat off to Medifius. They've done things a bit differently with this campaign, their base pledge or has all the stretch goals in it already. So instead of doing like a, maybe you could say a marketing gimmick where you pretend that you know things which are in the game are stretch goals when actually they're always going to be in the game, they basically said, hey, you're gonna, for this price, you're going to get everything that's in the game and all the additional components and the other pledges and in the stretch goals actually increase the price of the game, the price to manufacture it. So that's what they've done. 
And some people aren't happy with that because they feel like, oh, I just bought the base game and I don't get, I don't get anything when actually they're getting everything that they that they're they're paying for. And it is a higher a price point, but there's you know there's lots of components and cards in it. And this was explained to people, and it's a very logical explanation. And you know you can either say, well, I don't like that, or okay, I, I understand why they did that. Yeah, just mm-hmm. some of the responses that you're seeing, it's a bit uh, a bit concerning. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll say uh, for Modifius's part, you know, because we're we're not the ones you know representing their company to the face of the you know the public. They themselves have community managers and that kind of thing. And um, I, I I think that they did a really good job, or they're doing a good job addressing people's concerns and and responding to comments that I think are just kind of a little bit ridiculous. There's uh, one comment on the GameFound page that uh, started out, uh, came in like earlier today and it's like, okay, I tried it on Tabletop sim- Simulator and I'm done. And and he's, he spends a really long paragraph like getting being just super grumpy that he had to look for 10 minutes for an ambush keyword. It's like he didn't know what ambush meant and he looked over the rule book for like 10 minutes and he was like super mad about that and uh then they you know and he's he's done he's not going to back the game and they responded like hey thanks for your comment you know the tabletop simulator version is a stripped down version and blah 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 and uh he's he's like in the matter of graphic improvement we'll take into account every comment and you know here's how you can um ask for rules clarifications and whatnot and then the next guy was you know the next response was actually the guy responded to them and said you know can you uh update your rule book basically i'm done but at the end of the campaign i'll come back to make another decision about the campaign (laughs) so he you know his english is not his first language but he was pretty clear about in in a way i felt like modifius kind of won him back uh Mm -hmm. with their smart i mean just very friendly and and kind reply and I think that as uh, you know, a creator, you're going to get lots of people that are just, you know, going to read you the riot act, you know, about how your game sucks, and or this one thing. So they're just going to write the rest of the game off. And just to um, respond to a person like that, saying, you know, hey, I, I've heard what it is that you've said, and I'm going to consider it. You know, I'm not just going to write it off in in one way or another. I don't think that saying that exact thing is a very good idea because you know it's like saying thank you for your feedback and uh, anyway uh, i won't i won't so, get into so uh, is your is your wife working for uh, modifius is that, is that what you're trying to say since they're so nice and polite <laughs> no but i think i think that uh, they're doing a good job they're basically pulling a christy right now you know they're just giving excellent customer service so. <laughs> yeah you know i think there's certain people you cannot appease and their objections are are, emotion, are emotional they're not rational so you can't actually rationally have a dialogue and say hey this is the, the problem and this is what we've done no response is ever going to satisfy certain people and i think as a publisher and as a marketer you've got to go okay you know we as marketers we want to know buyer's objection what's the majority view that's kind of holding people mm-hmm. back from for backing and can we address it and are there systems that we can put in place that can deal with these problems but then uh, it means you have to kind of filter a lot of the legitimate objections and mm-hmm. versus ones which are just people's irrational opinions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you on know, top of that, you have this large, very large video game. It's a large, it's a great large video. I love the video game. And you have people who are playing it who just play video games. So, I mean, there's video gamers who are hardcore video gamers. They literally just play video games all night. 
um, AKA past Andrew and sometimes me, <laughs> they're not board gamers. So now you're introducing something into their world because it's Skyrim. But then at the same time, it's like, but it's a board game. I don't play yeah. board games. So, I mean, I think there's a big challenge there. I mean, for, like, like I said, it won't, it won't be a challenge for them because, you know, it's Skyrim. But on top of that, there is that, 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 one, that one niche of just hardcore gamers, who, video gamers, who just play video games and trying to get them to, to get a board game. Yeah, and, and part of that is going to be the, the reach that a campaign like Skyrim will have just because of its IP. They're going to get on major video game sites like Polygon and... and IGN you know, shared their video. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's gonna be you know far reaching, and you're gonna get a, a bunch of people that come in that aren't the target market in essence, that aren't board gamers. You know, I'm I'm actually reminded of the, it's I'm gonna say his name again. Jamie Stegmeyer wrote about <laughs> Viticulture. <laughs> um, Viticulture is a game about making wine, and he thought that at at the time he thought that it would be a really smart idea to market to people who loved wine, you know, or wine connoisseurs. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people out there that visit wineries and, you know, do tastings and that kind of thing, not just to get smashed, but to enjoy, you know, the fruit of the vine. Right. And, you know, they're all hoity toity and swish it around in their mouth. It's like, I taste the nut. And spit it back out. <laughs> yeah. And then spit it. <laughs> mm, it smells like a fruity bouquet of oak. You know, <laughs> I don't know, whatever they say. I'm not a wine connoisseur. Of, I think only 1% of people who drink wine do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. When Jamie targeted those people, he found that less than 5% of his backers were people that, you know, where that was kind of their main way that they found out about the campaign. You know, 95% of the people dominantly found out about the campaign and backed the, the game because they loved board games and played board games. So the, you know, going back to Skyrim, you know, I think that even though video games and board games are closely related and you'll have a lot of people that are, you know, would call themselves video gamers, but not board gamers. A lot of those people may have played things like Magic the Gathering or, you know, will play you know, a, a board game night with friends, you know, maybe they're the ones that like just come in and expect you to teach them the rules or something. They're like, I'll play because whatever, you know, you know, they might not be like board gamers on their own. But I, I so I think that you're going to get a lot of crossover, but I would say that the marketing really needs to target and focus on those people that are board gamers that, that like Skyrim. I mean, that's the, the most core target super duper easy target for this particular campaign. But I, I think that uh, to target outside of that, it's the only reason that you should do that is because you have either run out of people that like Skyrim and board games. Um, so maybe you target people who like board games and have never heard of Skyrim or, you know, uh, maybe like board games and, you know, campaign based games or, you know, big epic experiences or something like that. But um, to actually target people that like Skyrim and not board games, I think is something that, you know, it, it might work as it, like with a positive return on ad spend. But I feel that when you actually, even when you deliver the game, when you deliver the product to those people, they are not going to play it. <laughs> you know, they're much less likely to actually play it, which means, you know, for a company like Modifius that might make a bunch of money on GameFound how they're they're really going to make at least half of whatever it is that they're going to make or more after the game actually 
hits store shelves. So it's not that smart if you sell games to people that, you know, don't have a very good return on ad spend and really aren't going to play and talk about it. That's, you know, I don't know. It's a fun tangent, I guess. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, video gamers, they maybe suffer from an inability to use their imaginations. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, like a lot of people are, are, are commenting on on graphics and, and visuals. And I think for board gamers, that's less of an issue, I think. Maybe maybe it's, that's just me. I'm, I'm, I'm projecting my personal opinion of board games on to others. So... But- Real quick, would you share kind of the objection? Uh, so the the back, the a little bit of the background of the objection, like what is it that people are upset about with the in regards to the art and? Yeah, so there was a creative design choice that utilized in-game visuals and graphics to demonstrate certain items uh, on on the cards. So I had no issue with it. I didn't. So it's actually attention. video game art. Yeah, so it's it's assets from within the video game that have been touched up and put on cards. For me, that just harkens back to the the games. Like, okay, it reminds me of these items in the game. It doesn't pull me out of the world in in any way. But I think for some people, they want to you know highly stylistic and artistic illustrations of these items and of you know certain things, and I feel like it's been a bit of a letdown. But I think that comes down to personal preference and choice. You know, at the end of the day, you're moving little cubes across a board. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like there there is an element with board games that you get pulled into the narration of what you're doing and to the concept and the theme of what you're doing, and everything else sort of just think falls to the side. You know, there's the part where your imagination kicks in because you know, most board games you're moving crude items and pieces and bits across boards but this represents you know a galaxy exploding or something so there there's an element where within i think particularly with board games the mm-hmm. the emphasis is on gameplay and on tactics and i think their campaign has demonstrated that clearly that this is a game which has a lot of replayability this is a game that has that's heavily involved in narration and it's a story driven cooperative campaign which is something which is unique from the video game you can't do that in the video games skyrim is a very solo experience so i think the board game offers a unique perspective on the world that skyrim offers which is a cooperative adventure where you can all kind of get in together and i think that's what makes this game special and i think people are missing the mark when they focus on these other things but that's my two cents my opinion Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, the one of the things that I think is really important with uh, something like this is that Modifius has made a choice to do that. And not everybody's going to like the choice, but, you know, they, they're not going to change it. They've considered it, they've thought it through, and they've made their decision that it's going to be this way. And, you know, that's just how it is. So it's really their job to kind of defend that choice or just tell people we understand that you wanted you know nice art that is 2d illustration or something uh we elected to go this route because of blah 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 you know and just state their reasoning for that i think that uh what people might be nervous about is that oh you just wanted to produce this as cheap as possible so the rest of the game would be cheap you know, and uh, that that would be the fear, right? And when that's really not the case at all, it's uh, it's really a 
seems to be quite high quality. And I think with the, the trailer coming out, I think a lot of people's opinions have changed because we take for granted that we've seen the trailer before it's released. And, you know, yeah. we, we, and we, we know the guys at Metaverse, you know, they're capable of crafting stellar games and being able to fulfill them. So we have a different relationship. So I suppose trying to put yourself in the perspective of a backer who has no touch points with Modifius and mm -hmm. understanding their fears and then trying to overcome those objection, ob objections. But one thing I've yeah. definitely learned about this campaign is that having a big IP has its own challenges. There's some wonderful benefits of having a big IP working with one, but then it comes with some challenges that smaller, you know, first-time creators don't have to struggle with. Right, like the expectation of um, whatever the IP, you know, whatever you were used to, or that, hey, this is my thing. Yeah, expectations of fans and, and even the creative freedom. You know, if you're using somebody else's intellectual property, you can't just make changes nilly-willy. Even with our ad right. text, we've got to be very careful of how we word things and state things. So, you know, you just have far more freedom if it's your own property. And you, if you make a change in your game, you're not going to step on millions of people's toes and, and annoy them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's really interesting working with IP. Sometimes, you know, you, you get people that are really down to earth that you get to work with that are like, oh, yeah, you know, do what, do what you need to do. And then others are like, hey, you can't call the game the same name as, as our game. Like uh, Rainbow Six is a really popular IP, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. Um, there was a, uh, what, what company was it? It was Mythic Games that came out and did the um, Six Siege campaign. And it was a Rainbow Six Siege, but they couldn't call it that. They had to call it six colon siege, which I felt, you know, really kind of missed the mark um, on what was possible as far as the name recognition and that kind of thing. But that was what their uh, licensor required of them. They didn't want to have brand confusion with the board game and video game. And, you know, you just have to deal with that and kind of accept that and roll with it. And I think that as long as you're able to kind of articulate that to your fans, um, that's really important. You know, you need to just be able to tell people why it is that you did what you did. And it can't just be because I'm cheap and I needed to save money or something. You know, with Deliverance, for example, there were a lot of people that asked me, why can't you play the demons? Or, you know, why did you make the angels basically look like people, you know, instead of godlike beings with, you know, six wings and a million eyes and that sort of thing. And the important thing is just that I have answers. You know, not necessarily what the answer is, but that I've thought it through and that I had a reasonable explanation for why I chose to do it. They might not agree with me. And um, in, you know, with some things, you know, for example, I had people and Modifius right now with Skyrim has people complaining about the content in the base box. Why don't I get all the gameplay content in the base box? Or why don't I get all the stretch goals in the base box? You know, this is... This is madness. There are reasons for that and they can't change, you know, the price point and all of that. And even the purpose of the tier, it's like you can get the base gameplay tier and you'll, you know, have the game and have fun. If you want all the expansion content and the miniatures and whatever, then get the upgrade, right? Um, one thing that might be worth pointing out is that from looking at certain like smaller reviewers, sort of their ignorance of the industry really comes to the forefront. And one person was saying, maybe this was produced in the UK. Okay, no games would be produced in the UK. <laughs> if they did, it would be like 10 times the price of what, what you're currently seeing them as. But I think you know, maybe as, as marketers and as game developers, maybe sometimes we can 
take certain things for granted that people are just simply they lack the information to make that intelligent decision or come to a proper conclusion so they then come to in their mind the most logical conclusion but it's completely wrong because they've got the wrong different premise so sometimes there might just need to be a little bit of grace and patience just you know educating people on this is why the things are the way they are and yeah as you said as long as you have those answers but maybe assuming that people don't know trying to meet people where they are i suppose in their level of understanding because that really mm-hmm. shocked me that people are you know, creating YouTube content, reviewing games, but they know so little about the industry. Now, these were smaller creators, but still they're getting a couple of hundred views on their videos and things. But I'm sure there's many people in the same boat where they're critiquing board games and these things without having much knowledge of the, the circumstances around those games. I suppose they're only looking at the, the page and making the best critique they can with what, what's in front of them. Are you, are you making fun of my uh, hobby YouTube channel? <laughs> <laughs> What is it called? It's, it's a hobby, okay? I'm just trying to be an emerging uh, media, media sensation. Rick's greatest hits. <laughs> Rick's reviews. Yeah. Rick Rick's, Rick's reviews. <laughs> <laughs> this review just got Rick rolled. You know, the rolling yeah. dice, but Rick Ashley. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I think that um, one of the biggest mistakes that our creators can make in this area, you know, because uh, we're talking about you need to simply be able to justify why it is that you did what you did, maybe justifies the wrong word, just um, kind of explain your position on a particular thing and not try to tell others that they're wrong, but just simply say, this is why I did what I did. But, you know, I think that when you're, when you're making a board game, you know, you've got people that tend to get really super ultra passionate. And the biggest mistake is to be like, well, I'm doing it this way because it's cool. And you'll get people giving you all sorts of logical reasons as to why you should change it. And if you just did it one way because you thought it was cool, I mean, you you might find that those people uh, get upset. Yeah, get really upset. It's, it's like it's a little you know, bit, a little bit upset. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, we're at the point of of board games where it. I don't think board games should have to defend themselves for what what the product is or what they've decided as their final as their final product. I mean, if you don't like the game, that's fine. You don't like it. There's other options out there for you to choose from. You'll find a game you'll like eventually. I can see why you'd want to explain some things, but at the same time, I don't feel like they should have to be like, well, we did this because of this A, B, C, D, not because you liked E. I don't know. I just feel like they shouldn't have to defend themselves anymore. One one thing I'll say is like in, in the marketing industry, our lives are basically ruled by several dozen clients, right? And when they have a problem with something, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, we have to jump, right? And, um, you know, like if I get a call from Cheryl or something, you know, a client, I won't explain anymore, but it's like, dude, I better, I better jump right now because this woman has a lot of power over me, you know, to, because she's a big paying client and that kind of thing with board games you will sell thousands of board games or hopefully tens or hundreds of thousands of board games to, you know, across the world to clients, I guess, who who would be your patrons that purchase your game. And when they get all up in arms, it's not a big deal compared to, you know, if you have several dozen clients and one of them gets up in arms, it's, it's a huge deal, you know? So I think that one of the things I, I feel like one adage is I, I've always tried to live by, you know, I can't please everyone, but I'll sure try. 
I think that if I tried to please everybody in the board game space, I would probably end up with a game that was very average and exciting, truly exciting to nobody. You know, you would end up having very, you know, homogenized products. It's what happened to World of Warcraft. Not to bring it up, but I was really, really pissed off when they took away Mortal Strike from Warriors and made it like give the hunters. Hunters got thirty percent, and oh, that's too powerful. Ten percent now, and well, even now, classic, classic, yeah. classic seven problems now because Zerdboon updates the classic, and people are like, "What? What?" So really? even now, it's 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 yeah. I think yeah. I think World of Warcraft should just be like shoots and ladders. Just keep publishing, <laughs> or not publishing, just keep having the product until people give up on it. <laughs> no, no more new stuff. Just just run it through. Yeah. yeah. Right, it's course. And then everyone transferred to Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that, you know, in, in the end, the whole reason there's uh, such, been such a, an increase in the board game hobby is because it's a great way to get people together, you know, and uh, especially in coronavirus times, people want to want to spend time together. I think that what makes the whole meta thing even more bizarre and disconnected from reality and nobody was asking for this because we have seen a surge in the rise of the board game industry because people want to disconnect from technology. So this idea of becoming more integrated to technology is a just seems to be a complete opposite direction in which people are sort of trending. Mm-hmm. The current trend is, is going. Especially in today, there, if, if, you're, if you have an, uh, an electronic device of any kind that connects the internet or anything like that, there's no pri- you have no privacy. You know, Google Google co- uh, stores everything. Your your iPhone stores everything. You know, Android stores. It's all recorded somewhere. Everything is seen here, here and done. Uh, there's always people talking about how they have like their little uh, Echo in their in their in their house, and they'll talk about something else, and they get ads on their phone or you know on on their computer for the thing they were just talking about. Um, in fact, Amazon has a local network now where the device all their devices talk to each other. So even if the internet goes out. If there's an Amazon device within like 300 feet to another Amazon device, it can send each other information. Um, wow. It's like a it's like a net. They call it a net something. It went active. Uh, the full net went active earlier this year. Well, that's um, how, that's how they use um, Wi-Fi triangulation because the um, mm-hmm. the Wi-Fi addresses of all the routers around you they can then triangulate your position based on your position relative to these these routers, which is just nuts. So even if you have like mm-hmm. location settings off, there's ways around uh, that to to find out your uh, location and this is why i think meta is going to it's not going to be it's going to be mandatory you're going to have to jump onto it because you know right now facebook's pushing everyone to get two-factor authentication i know rick you sent an article that google is doing the same thing yep. um, mm-hmm. and to run ads currently on on facebook without any hindrance you have to upload your id as well it's, it's a bit frustrating that you know you've got a hand over like your most sensitive private information to like use a service like you don't have to go to mcdonald's and hand them like my ID, <laughs> you know, to buy a cheeseburger or something, but I don't know. When it comes uh, to two-factor authorization, it makes sense. And some people may want it. It's, you know, it's an extra security step you have to take um, to access your account. However, I'm doing a, uh, I like, I like streaming TV. So I, I've been a, a long time off and on Sling, Sling TV user. Uh, right now though, I'm trying a uh, Philo or Philo. I don't know how to say it right. Cause it's $25 a month. Sorry, it's not an ad. $25 a month <laughs> for, for streaming TV. But the problem, and it, it seems the service seems to run great. I like it actually so far. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a decision whether to keep that or or go back to Sling or whatever. Every time I sign in, 
it t- sends me a code in my email, like no matter what. So I was like, you know, I was trying on my phone last night and it goes, oh, check your email for a code. And I can't get in without the code. And I was trying on the TV, gotta put a code in, try on the computer. Mm-hmm. Every time I sign in, it wants to do a code and I have to have my email available. And that's just a big turnoff. I don't know. I haven't been able to check to see if you can turn it off, but it seems like, in fact, they don't even ask for a password. It's, it's passwordless. It's all 2FA. Because I just yeah. insist, ask for your phone number or email, which you put in. And after that, it says put in the code you got. So I don't like things like that. I mean, some people might, but um, I definitely don't like it. It's, it also makes it hard for businesses that work with multiple third-party companies. So for example, we actually have to change some network settings and do things for our clients. And a lot of times we'll log, and we're also in different time zones. And a lot of times we'll try to log in to make those changes. And it's like, oh, sorry, you got to have uh, authorization from or the access code from this email, which we don't have access to because we're not the owner of the email. So then we have to wait and to play a back and forth tag game. And it could be. A and the code expires in 10 minutes, right? Yeah, the code, yeah, the code, code expires in 15 minutes. It could or be get a it 20 minutes later minutes like, system. And then, of course, your clients get upset because you can't get in. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm not I'm not for 2FA at the moment. I'm. If you really want to encrypt your crap, get those, get that stick. There's a couple of different brands out there. The, the USB stick that you plug in, that, that store, a key, something key. I can't remember what it's called. That's really cool. I like that. It's it's great. You just tap on it. It sends a, every, every site that you connect to has a unique password. So if someone gets one of your passwords, they're not going to be able to get beyond that. If they can guess the password, because it's like a 16 character, super multi-character password. So I, I think stuff like that is great. 2FA? No. Sorry about all the rambling we did today, but uh, it's been a while since we've talked to each other and got a lot off our, our chest. But that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. We're actually almost at one year anniversary. Uh, we're just a few episodes away from 52 because we do one a week. Uh, and I believe we started right before Christmas. Um, yeah. So that's really cool. And we're, hopefully we'll have something really good for you guys in the future for that. Um, but if you like this episode and want to listen to the rest, visit crowdfundingnerds.com or, or like I said, visit your favorite podcasting app. We want you all to stay nerdy and we will definitely see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Later.